Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. Joined around the horn, I have my good friend, Chris Begay. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, so happy to be here. So you, you're happy to be here at Don ATIA, is that? Well, I'm really sad I'm not ATIA, but I'm so glad that we can be here chatting. It makes me makes that pain a little bit less, you know? <laughs> well, I would pour out a little, uh, a little sample of my, my LaCroix to my homies, but it's empty. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if people at those conferences drink LaCroix though. I, 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 I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Um, Rachel Madel though, uh, sunny LA, how are you? I'm great. How is the weather down there? Is it, it's gorgeous? It's beach weather. Literally it's hot. Like I need to stop working so much and go to the beach. <laughs> nice. Uh, our beach is about two hours away, but I think I have to drive through about two hours of horrible uh, gray rain to get there. So um, move to Oregon. There's my- What a pitch. Um, so I know that I always, always say that I'm really excited about the interview that we're going to have today, but this time is like super duper, no exception. Like this is, uh, this is gonna be, I think something really mind shattering. So I, without even giving any introduction, um, let, me, uh, let me pass it off to Chris Begay. What did you guys talk about? How do things change over time? And do you even know that you're in the middle of a transition when it transitions, you know? That one of the, one of the things we talk about in the, in the interview that you'll hear is that the model that we currently use for selecting AAC was born out of an era when technology was at a scarcity. Right, where mm -hmm. you you know, um, it's really only been in the last ten or fifteen years that uh, technology has really flourished. That now we all have devices that we walk around with, you know, mm -hmm. um, and so does that in itself drive a change in how we should be looking at AAC? And I'm not saying it should. I'm just posing the question that maybe we should be considering that as a as a big change in in how the world works, you know. No, I think you're exactly right. And I love the idea. Um, a lot of what you've been talking about in this interview has made me think about is the idea of universal design. Um, you know, you talked about word prediction and that's something that's universally accepted now. Um, you know, anything that helps get more tools and resources to clinicians and teachers and students, I'm a fan of. And I think if we kind of take this universal approach, we're going to at least integrate these systems into everyday classrooms. And, and that teacher who, you know, might not have ever been introduced to AAC, she's getting a training on it because everybody's getting a training on it. And I think that's the benefit to doing a universal system. One of yeah, them. Absolutely. I'll, I'll give you another one too, Rachel. And that is there's only so many minutes in the day and there's only so many, uh, so many people that can be spending those minutes. So as a speech language pathologist, which would you rather do? Spend your time on assessment after assessment and assessment, making sure the person has the absolutely perfect device, or would you rather spend your time working with the communication partners, building the entire program so they can use the systems that they have, you know? Exactly, and I feel like, you know, these systems for the most part, they have to have certain things, but they're very similar and they're very comprehensive. So it's not like we're choosing a system that doesn't have pretty much everything we would need. Um, obviously there are these fine tuning differences, um, but I completely agree as far as the implementation is the hardest part and it's the most important. You know, mm -hmm. the assessments, we can do, you know, a 10 hour assessment and recommend a perfect device. And if it's never used, what good is that? So exactly. I know, and, and that's the thing is our, our school clinicians and, you know, especially AAC specialists, their, their time is limited because there's not enough of them. Um, so, you know, we really need to be strategic as far as what, what are we spending our time on? I, 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 my skepticism is still holding strong here, you guys, because <laughs> I mean, this is like saying that we got a whole bunch of size nine shoes dedicated in the, you know, the, the school fundraising drive. And now everybody wears size nine shoes because that's what <laughs> we have, right? Um, Listen, if size nine doesn't fit, you can pick a size that does. Exactly, exactly. It's not size nine shoes. It's just shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. No, I know I get it. But I mean, um, just because we have a, you know, a ton of copies of Proo, right, doesn't mean that that's the right fit for every student. And like, yes, we can adapt that and we can, you know, use it in ways that are useful for that student. But um, I, I don't know, isn't there something about undervaluing their, their communicative 
profile by shoehorning something that isn't necessarily the right fit. And I, and I know that there are, there are budgeting and funding constraints uh, that, that limit this. And, uh, you know, a great clinician, like, you know, we spoke to Kate Ahern, you know, her, her whole piece was that, uh, you know, it really doesn't matter uh, what you use so long as everyone uses it together. But, but aren't there exceptions, right? I mean, can't you buy the 99 cent app off of, uh, you know, off of the Android system and, and, and recognize that it's not going to meet the, the, you know, the long-term needs of your student? Um, well, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what you're going to hear when we when we play the interview with Eric is that Great. he's not talking about picking some any random system, right? There there are certain systems that are like Rachel was saying, they they all kind of are really good. You know, they're all good systems. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say every system is good. I'm just saying that there's a a number that we think of like Proloquo and Lampwords for Life and Touch Chat and Cough Drop that are these robust systems that can get people to uh, thousands and thousands of words someday. And so if you pick one of those systems and train everybody on it that uh, no one is saying that you, you couldn't have another system as well or change systems if it wasn't working. It's just starting from this one system that everyone knows really well. Okay, and there so is that's a danger. an interpretation that I didn't have. So I, I thought that the argument was that you, you pick one and then that's your life, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, no matter and, what, even if it's not working, you yeah. have to use it. <laughs> well, and, and to be purposely frank in my practice, I do often use things that I, I'm pretty confident are not a good long-term fit as an assessment tool. Right. Um, you know, like, like you mean, you, you mean when trialing, right. So, so a really good example of this recently is I highly had a highly act, impacted individual who, um, I, you know, I went out to a home visit in the middle of nowhere and, uh, mom had been, listening to their credit uh, to some of the, the wonderful materials that Heidi has put out around Speak for Yourself. And um, so went and bought a copy of Speak for Yourself, and which is a wonderful system. Um, but the reality is the student didn't have a reliable yes, no, right? So the, he was not a good candidate for, for something as complex as that. And, um, you know, so even though, well, you, you, Chris just gave me a look, right? So yes, you can hide things <laughs> and but there was there were visual th components at play. There was also a huge um, emotional barrier for him about that because he had he had worked with this woman named Soma for many years and had a very negative association with the device. So you know we set him up with you know a field of four motivating choices and then grew and grew and grew and now he's working on a field of thirty six. And um, uh, listen, I'm not saying what I did is right. I, I'm just saying that uh, you know we need to balance the need to provide a system that's robust. Uh, throughout the lifetime with, you know, the desire to make sure that the student wants to freaking use the thing. Yeah. Sure. You know what it really sounds like, Lucas, is that student that you're talking about there wasn't in an environment that was conducive to language, where what no. I think what you're about to hear with Eric is that that's what he's been trying to build, is that mm -hmm. any student that comes into this environment, the, the environment is built with language. And in order to do that, we've had to pick one system to go with. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thought there to, to, to talk about from a clinician's point of view or a teacher's point of view that is not even a clinician that might have some experience is this idea with when you're talking about aided language stimulation is that I've seen teachers sit behind the kidney shaped table and they have kid on their right has lamp words for life kid in front of them has a prolo quo and kid to the left has a low tech PEC system. Right. How does that do? How does that person and the assistants sitting around them model? you know, to know where all the vocabulary is on system number one, plus all the vocabulary on system number two, plus the vocabulary on system number three, and be able to manage it all becomes a, um, oh, oh, very, just, I, I've never seen it work really well. It's, you yeah. know, it's just it's really overwhelming. Right. Where if they, if everyone in the environment knew one system well, and occasionally a kid came in that did, had a different system, or we knew it didn't work for them, and we had to switch it, well, then we can adjust, you know, because most of the principles that we're teaching are still the same, you know. It, right. It right. And it's really just a shift of focus, right? Instead of focusing so much on the assessment piece, it's just focusing on the implementation. You know, it's not saying that it's not important and we don't need to, it's almost like, you know, diagnostic therapy. It's like, okay, let's like start something, get going, start doing therapy and, oh, it's not working. Let's tweak instead of, you know, this big detailed, you know, assessment right out of the gate and, and things change anyway. I do assessments with kids and then like, you know, six months later, I'm like, man, I really wish I known, you know, this X, this little piece of information that would have maybe changed the system that I chose. 
Yeah. So, you know, Rachel, I know this might be the entire episode before we even play the, play the <laughs> 45 um, minutes later. <laughs> but I once heard Sam Sennett say that he was working with a student for, um, I don't, maybe it was seven years or something like that before they started to see progress. Like they were modeling on a system for, wow. for an extended period of time. And that hit, since I heard that, and that wasn't the only uh, component, but it got me really thinking about trialing in general. Like, what, where did that model come from? Is it because insurances for, for funding make us trial three things in order to pick one? Like or, is there, yeah. or is there some sort of research that says it needs to be three? Why not five? And how long? Like, do you, do you, what, is it 30 days? Well, what if the 31st day was the day the kid was about to get it? Is it 30 business days? Or like, how do we pick? And here's the, here's the other big thing with trialing that really rubs me like I can't wrap my brain around it. How did you pick which one to trial first? Well, I'm going to pick yeah. uh, Prolo Quo first. Well, wait, why? Why didn't you pick Lamp first? Well, mm -hmm. because I thought, well, if you thought that, then why not just go with it? Just run with and model, model, model on that because you had to have some sort of reasoning to pick that one first or yeah. you're just kind of like shooting darts, you know, in the wind. Like it's just. Exactly. And something else, and then we'll, we'll wrap, up, wrap up and let us, you know, actually listen to the interview. Um, the other thing I think about too is that the first system that I choose I feel like always is gets the short end of the stick because by the time I'm to the third trial, it feels like you understand what we're doing here. I'm modeling, you're, you know, you're imitating and it just feels like it's not valid <laughs> as valid. I should say. It's not Rachel. I had a student come in and they trialed um, Proloquo for two weeks, ripped that out of the kid's hands, gave him lamp, trialed that for two weeks. The kid did better on Prolo Quo. Why? Because he taught, they taught that for two weeks. Yep. You know, they were teaching and modeling him. They give him lamp and start teaching. It's all the motor plans that he just built, gone. All the, uh, where he knew what, how where things were, gone. So which of course, and I bet you if they flip-flopped it and put lamp first and then Prolo Quo, he would have done better on lamp. Do you know I what know. I mean? Yeah. Uh, so how, it's totally tainted science. It's just not good science to say uh, the, the trialing works that way. Now, yeah. and, and I don't want to make this run any longer, but um, uh, do you, and, and we're getting a trim, by the way, because that, <laughs> uh, the, uh, so when you say that, that you start with Prolo and they're more successful and then they go to lamp. Do you think that there are some students that are simply more inclined to do well with Proloquo or, or our hierarchical system than they are with the motor planning? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> let's, you know what I mean? How do you let's know? Let's find some research. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure yeah. that if we had Jane uh, Jane Odom on again, we would we would uh, we would be hearing some opinions. But uh, yeah. Jane, uh, shoot us an email. So um, <laughs> so so anyone who's been listening, we brought up three very controversial things today. Um, I you know I probably more so than we than we have in a little while. So uh, we would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, please send us an email at tech at speechscience.org. Uh, feel free also to join our Facebook group, which is just called Talking with Tech. Um, and then uh, also, of course, go to our website, tech.speechscience.org. Um, and then also, if you feel free, uh, you know, take to the Twitters. Uh, we, have, we have Talking With Tech. Um, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear your, your thoughts about this. It, what's tough about this for us is that um, with the exception of PEX, we, we really don't have a ton of research, um, you know, corroborating a lot of these claims. And, and you know, we, we just had an interview with Kathy Howery, and she's doing a good job of, of starting to address these questions. And there are other, in, you know, researchers as well. Um, but, uh, but please just let us know, uh, because we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, if your thoughts are, are compelling enough and prove us wrong strongly enough, you're going to be sitting here as number four. Uh, so so don't, uh, don't feel, <laughs> feel nervous about that. And, um, and, and final dig is that anyone who's at ATIA, um, we expect you to mail us um, any free goodies that, uh, that come along. Um, you can send them to 840 Northwest NATO Parkway, Portland, Oregon, 972-09. And I, I, will, I will carefully redistribute them out to our, our colleagues in LA and, and on the East Coast. Um, <laughs> So uh, without further ado, though, uh, why don't we just dive right into it? So I, I'm, I'm really, really curious to hear more about this interview with Eric Angers. Uh, please do stick around afterwards because we're going to be talking about uh, some, some practical solutions that we can take away from this, um, as well as a, a little bit more of the, uh, uh, the debate, I'm sure. So thanks for listening. See you in a minute.
Welcome back to Talking with Tech, and uh, this is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Eric Enger. Uh, Eric, am I saying that right? Uh, Engar, E-N-G-A-R. Engar, not Enger. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, Engar. So, uh, Eric, tell us a little about yourself. You're out in uh, Utah? Yeah, so I'm out just barely north of Salt Lake City, Utah, in Davis County. Um, I am the assistive technology specialist in Davis School District, so the whole county. So in our school district, we're about almost 80,000 students this year. Um, we have eight high schools with one being built. Um, yeah. Wow, are you growing? We are, yeah. So um, we, are, we are a farms to schools and houses sort of neighborhood. So lots of, lots of farms that are now becoming houses. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, and you have been doing this job for how long? So I've been doing assistive technology for the last five years. Before that, I taught in a functional skills classroom, so students with significant disabilities. Um, and I taught elementary, junior high, and high school for a few years. I switched off every couple of years, and then I got the chance to do assistive technology full-time, so I took it. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Me too. We, we, we parallel a lot, I think, our stories. Um, so the reason uh, I asked you, invited you on here today to participate in the podcast is because you and I share sort of a similar philosophy. By accident, we, we kind of discovered, yeah, hey, I, I kind of do that too, you know? Um, so that philosophy, I'm calling a specific language system first approach to AAC. Uh, does that sound like a good name for it? I, I think that's a pretty accurate description of it, yeah. Do you want to dive in and describe uh, what it is and what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the important thing to do here first, though, is to build my escape hatches, right? Because I think when we talk about this, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the details of it, and people think, oh, this is just what they're doing. This is the whole piece of it. And it's one piece of many things that we're doing. So when we talk about a specific language system first, um, you and I are probably talking about a high-tech um, or a more complex AAC system for students to use. Um, and again, that's just one aspect. We, have a, we do a lot of low-tech, mid-tech, we do switches, we do paper, we do all of those things. But we have one basic system that we start with with most of our students, and again, not all, to implement a higher-end AAC device. So a lot more robust communication system with lots of core vocabulary and fringe vocabulary and those kinds of things so that we can have one system that we implement sort of as our go-to but again we use all systems we have students with every system out there but we sort of have one go-to so we built a system around that that supports that as well as the other systems so that we can implement things faster so we spend a little less time assessing a lot more time implementing with students Eric, uh, I love how you phrase all of that because maybe you are, or I know I am, a little gun shy to talk about this a little bit because it's the first things people seem to say is, yeah, but that's a one size fits all model that you're talking about. Whoa, 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 we're not. We, there's plenty of other, just everything you just said, we do too, and I'm a big fan of, right? I mean, that's why we do them. They, they, it's not a one size fits all, but it's maybe a, uh, we want to start someplace with the, the, that, that presuming uh, competence. And so mm-hmm. um, how do we do that is we, we, we build a consistent approach for everybody. So, so let, me, let me just back up and say, uh, let's, let's say I was a parent and uh, I had a preschool age student that was coming into your school district that was maybe, let's say, three or four years old and at, at this time not using a whole lot of verbal speech. Maybe, maybe no, maybe they've never heard a word or maybe uh, my child has one or two words. What would they expect to see? What would happen? So um, we would start it at the school team, right? And the school team would collect the data that they're doing anyway. So this student qualifies for speech. So we have some standardized assessments. We have a lot of anecdotal data. We have a lot of classroom data on how this student's doing. So we're not just either, we're also not just looking at what we think might be best. We actually have quite a bit of data already in place. We're just not coming out and saying, okay, well, let's assess them just for AAC usage, right? Because we know what kind of vocabulary system they need. They need a lot of core vocabulary that's developmentally appropriate. They need ways to participate in their classroom instruction. So in our school district, our next step would be to say, okay, let's talk about some of those options. So we'd help narrow it down, right? We wouldn't just say, this is the one thing we're gonna do for you. So we'd have a conversation. But our go-to solution probably would be a system like an iPad. In our district, we use Prolo Quo to Go. Um, I can argue 
for which one's better all day long and I can take every single side because they're just great systems nowadays, which is, which is a bonus for us, right? Because all of these systems work pretty similarly and they work really well. So in our district, we would say, okay, here's the iPad, here's ProLoquo to go. And we start it on a six by 10 grid. So even in preschool, we would start it on a six by 10 grid. So quite a bit of vocabulary on that homepage, quite a bit of core vocabulary and some fringe. And we would start it as an implementation process of aided language. So having the teachers and the parents use that device to model to the students as we start the process. And that would be our first evaluation is how are they, how are they responding to the device? Are they paying attention to the buttons that we're hitting? Are they using it and trying to model the, or trying to follow the things that we're doing with it? So let me ask, when you say uh, ProLoquo to Go is your go-to device, um, does that mean like, so that you have teachers that have been using it now for a year or two years or three yeah. years in some cases? Three, four years sometimes, yeah. And so they're pretty fluent and know the device and know the system and know what they're doing? Yes and no, right? Because, and, and, and this is part of why we went with what we're calling that specific language system first. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe we take a step back to you. Maybe we look at like why we did it this way, right? Okay. So, so our basic system would be, yeah, ProLoquo to go, six by 10 grid, right? And again, one of many solutions, right? Not just our only solution. Mm-hmm. But what we were running into was exactly what you were alluding to right there is teachers had to learn lots of different systems. So nobody was becoming proficient with any system. Yep. One teacher was using LAMP, the other was using POD, and so they couldn't collaborate very well either, right? So now we lost our community of not only language learners, but language instructors. And we wanted to build a community of people who had one tool that they knew really, really well, they could could then use as a jumping off point to those other systems as well, so that it wouldn't be all brand new to them. They would have this nice big base of skill set that they could use, no matter what device they ended up with in the end. Exactly. Right? So, yeah, that makes total sense, right? And so if, if it was either completely obvious that a student couldn't access ProLoquo to go, then, if, you know, maybe there's fine motor concerns and... and right, uh, fine motor or vision. Those are the two big reasons that we immediately take a step back and start looking at other options. Absolutely. Um, we, so uh, we are, I, I can't say my school district is doing this, but I am a big fan of um, that same approach where, um, and the reason I'm a fan of it is this idea of mass feature matching. So uh, I think a lot of people who work in assistive technology have, are familiar with the term feature matching. If people who are listening aren't, I'll just get a quick description is like, and tell me, throw anything in here if you feel like I'm missing it. I, I, the way I, I describe feature matching is picture like a table in your mind. And uh, the very first column in the table is all the needs of the students or the student specifically. And then each column would be devices or options that might meet those needs and you put little check boxes or numbers in each uh, each of the grid that you're filling out and and lo and behold one of those options might take the cake you know but what I find so often with AAC like you said there's all of these good systems now um, so often that the needs that are falling on that left hand column and you look at all the options almost all of them fall out to be the, the, similar you know and so over the years um, we were doing multiple assessments and we were finding the same individual assessments. So a student would come in, we would say, oh, this, this kid might need a communication device. We would do a, a, an assessment, which meant an observation, um, maybe try some things and then document a report. And then an IEP team would meet and a, a month or two or, or so would go by. And that whole time is time that we weren't making advancements with the student's language necessarily. We weren't using a, a system. They were, we were trying things. And so after doing this over and over and over and over year, years and years and years and over and over and over again, we found a, a, a pattern emerge um, that, uh, that we said, well, what if we do this mass feature matching? Like the most students mm-hmm. were finding we're using the same communication app over and over and over again. Did you find a similar, well, what, what's your, Experience. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. Number one, that model started under a scarcity, right? There weren't great communication systems out there. They were in development. You know, go back 10 years and look at your AAC systems. They were impossibly hard to program and they were making great, but they were all, they were engineer devices, right? You could tell an engineer had built this. Yes. And so for an average user, like a classroom teacher who's just fresh out of school, 
trying to manage a whole classroom full of students and behaviors to go in and know what to do with that device was really hard. And the, and the language systems were just set up really differently for the most part, right? Some of them, like LAMP has been around for a long time, Unity language systems um, a lot longer, and other people I think are catching up to that type of system. But yeah, we would go out and we would say, we had to go out and say, what features does this student need? But then all of the systems got really good. And so it was easy to say, look, this one will meet most of the needs of most of our kids, right? And you could do that with almost any system. You could say, these systems will meet most of the needs. So what if we just grab one of them, you know, and again, a really hard decision on which one to do because they're just good. Yes. They all have pros and cons and, and there's strengths and weaknesses to each one, but they all meet a basic baseline of they're really good. Yeah. So they're a system. They're a complete system. They're a complete system. Thousands of, of uh, a student could grow with, uh, with, with language using any of these systems. Yep. And if I need to modify them, it's really easy to do. It's not, it's not a full day process anymore of sitting down and doing all of that. It's just that, Oh, here, I need to add a button. Let me do that. Okay. Let's continue with instruction. Here we go. So, so all of the systems are really good, which puts us in a great place. So again, the feature matching started out under this, um, availability model, right? There just wasn't much available. So we really had to be precise. And then things became just like consumer electronics. These are things that are just available to everybody and they're easy and they're cheap, um, which was another big thing because the cost just dropped off the face of the earth, you know, from a $10,000 device to a $250 app, which is an expensive app, but that's a really cheap voice. Right. So, so because systems were so good, then the problem really became they weren't being implemented, right? So no matter how good of a job we were doing, selecting the appropriate device for a student, the amount of support that it would take to implement it was the biggest obstacle. And if we don't implement, we don't succeed. So it doesn't matter how well your features match if you can't implement. So if you can really increase your implementation of a device, then even if it's not the perfect device, it's still going to be a lot more successful than the perfect device that isn't implemented right. Oh my goodness, you are speaking my language. And that's why you and I get along so well, Eric, because uh, that's the part of the frustration I was finding with my own practice, uh, working with students and teachers, was that um, I was spending so much time doing individual evaluations that, and I would be like, and I would do, I think, a really good job at this initial implementation, like, all right, teachers, here's what you have to do. Now go do it. And I don't have time to follow up with you because I have to go do another evaluation to get another kid, another device, which guess what is going to be the same thing I recommended in the last one for the most part, you know, and uh, it, it, as this pattern emerged, it was like, why don't we just provide it as a, as a tier one support? So in that, what I mean, tier one is just provide the, something, which I know won't meet everybody, but might meet most people, just give it out to, to as many students as possible. Um, and then tweak it from there. Yeah. Right. And spend your time supporting the implementation, right? Because I don't have to spend the assessment time. The implementation is my assessment in a lot of ways, right? I can go through and I can feature match as I go along. And I can see how the student's responding and progressing in the meantime, right? The student doesn't have to wait to progress for us to find the right thing. And again, our, our implementation becomes so much better and stronger that the student automatically is making better progress. Yes, well, he's he or she is in an environment where there's other users and everyone's familiar, and the uh, it's not an uphill battle to learn aided language stimulation because in most cases, teachers have been now doing it, and they're still learning it, right? I mean, like you said, right. it's not perfect. I'm not painting a picture like, yeah, now it's, uh, everyone's doing it the way, you know, it, it's not like that, but it's on a road towards that, right? Right. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but uh, we keep getting better and better at you it. You know, one, one step at a time, and this is the thing, right? Like, we, I would love to say we have all of our classrooms that are just great at aided language, and they know these systems like the back of their hands, and they can do it, you know, in their sleep. We're not there yet, um, but we weren't even close before. Like, we are, uh, we are so much further along that road with a specific language system first approach than we were with the assessment, feature matching, implementation model that we were doing before. Exactly. I, I think of it just as a um, that whole uh, old approach that uh, 
can still exist when things aren't working. Uh, when you when you immediately you notice or your your data, your feedback from trying things with students saying, you know what, this isn't working. We can still go back and go and do a, a, a fuller assessment um, if we need to. We can and we have all these buckets of data and evidence now beforehand to explain well, why wasn't that a good match, you know? Um, do you find that that happens frequently, infrequently? What's your, what's your take on how often someone has to go, hey, okay, this, this, we, we got it wrong, you know? We got to come back and fix it. <laughs> so, so I would still say our number one concern that we run into, like when we go out to a school to check on how things are going, um, and we'll talk about a little bit later about the supports that we have in place as well. Um, our number one concern, though, when we go out to a, a classroom or talk to a parent, the number one reason they'll give us is the student doesn't like it. Yeah. Right. You know, they, we've tried it. They don't like it. And, and we always say, okay, let's take a step back. Um, and we talk about aided language. We've started talking about it under an explicit instruction model. So I do, we do, you do. And I say, you, the reason you've given me is the you do part, right? He doesn't like it. So the you do for the student isn't happening yet. Let's take a step back and look at the I do and the we do parts and make sure we've got those right. And that's going to explain the you do part. So we can go back and, and, and invariably what happens is they're like, yeah, we haven't really been using it much. We sat him down. We tried to get him to ask for a few things, which makes it more task-based learning. Totally. And I don't think task-based learning works well with language development. Yeah. Language development happens where it happens, when it happens and why it happens, right? It's in the moment is what makes it powerful and, and those connections for students, right? No student wants to sit down and has, have to ask for an item over and over and over. Like that gives us great data as a school district and as, an, as, a, as, a, as a practical piece, but it doesn't really help develop language the way we want it to. And the way these systems are built to, built to, to the way these systems are built to implement language, right? To teach language is that I do and the we do part first. And the I do takes a lot of time, right? So, so honestly, with the features, you know, it used to be the first two questions we would get was, or the first two concerns we would get were these. Hey, there's too many buttons on this device. And then the second question was always, how do I add new buttons? <laughs> Meaning, I don't like how many they are. And I don't like what they are because that what they didn't understand the core vocabulary piece. They didn't understand how this device would be used to model and how much more difficult it would be for a student to dig down into their into folders to find the language versus having it all on the front page. With this system and the, system, the supports we've set up, people quickly understand that, oh, if I can't use this device to talk to the kid because it's only got four buttons, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And if I don't do it, He's not going to do it. You know, they, they, they quickly understand the more they can use it throughout the day and feel better about it, then the more the student is doing it with them. And then in the end, the more the student is doing it independently. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so you mentioned now um, the supports that you have put in place. So with without having to spend as much time doing intervention and more time with the implementation, uh, the, the I do and we do parts, right? What, uh, what, what have you come up with? What have you been working on? So when we started this, uh, three and a half, four years ago is when we started to think of this idea and how it would work. Um, and, and we ran into this, honestly, because devices got so much cheaper. We just had more devices out there, again, that weren't being used. And so we took a step back and we were like, wait, how do we teach people how to use this? How do we implement this on a bigger level? Right. And again, the feature matching model works great if I'm a clinician in an office working with one student but I'm in a school district with 9,000 special ed students, right? And you know, if 5% of those have a, a language impairment that needs an AAC system, that's still a lot of kids. So we started looking at things that would be easy to implement, that were designed to get the devices out of the backpacks or off the shelf at least once a day. So they were being out, they were being used, and to teach teachers and staff what vocabulary, how to teach core vocabulary to students, because that was the other thing we were seeing. We were seeing lots of instruction on fringe vocabulary, a lot less instruction on core vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So um, in my, during the summer, one summer, we spent a lot of time brainstorming and I would run down to the special ed office and I'd ask them questions and I would say, hey, what would this look like? What would that look like? And together we kind of came up with a system of it needs to be repeatable. 
So it needs to be something that's easy to implement, repeatable week to week, no matter if the, if the language changes, the word of the week changes, the, the system is the same for it. So what we came up with was a basic word of the week program. Um, and we scheduled it on a, originally on a three-day schedule, and then we went to a five-day schedule. So the schedule looks like this every single week. Monday is modeling Mondays. So we introduce the word of the week, we model that word, we go through and we teach what that word looks like, and we set everything up on PowerPoint slides um, with the teacher instructions right at the bottom of the slide. So if I'm a substitute in that class, I can pull up that PowerPoint and teach a core vocabulary lesson. Awesome. on what the word gone means, or all gone, or done, or more, or want, or me. Um, I can pull that up, read through the slides, use the pictures on the slides, or the animations on the slides, to teach what that word looks like. As well as learn where it is on the device, and lots of different ways to use it. Because Go has a lot of definitions, and the third question I used to get with vocabulary was, where is bathroom? Right, they wanted bathroom on the front page. That's that's a big one for teachers. Um, but go can mean the same thing, right? And so we right. would talk about, look, it's already there. You just have to use this word in one of the many ways you can use this word. So, so Monday, every Monday is modeling Mondays. We go through again. We teach what that word means, how to use it, and practice it. And then there's usually some little activities that go along with it. Um, Tuesday is always a literacy day because we saw that you know, going back to what we had seen with fringe vocabulary, it was a, a mealtime language activity. And we wanted it to be an educational language activity. So we put up a literacy piece. And what we did was we just went through and wrote simple little stories in PowerPoint that used the core word of the week in the story over and over and over, right? So that they could use it and say it each time it was in the story. And then we've started to go through and add in like a, a writing piece with that as well. So, hey, let's create this sentence. Here's how you hit the buttons to create this sentence. And here's the folder you're going to go into create this sentence. Um, you know, here's how it's going to work for you. So they can practice some of those writing skills as well. So it's reading and writing on Tuesdays. Um, Wednesdays is always a math day. Um, and math, we get a little creative, right? Because go on math isn't really a math word typically like we would think about it, but it is with sorting what goes in here. How do I sort this, right? How do I, what number goes at the end of this equation? So one plus one is what, what goes here? And I can talk about how go applies to math. I can put numbers on a calculator so that what numbers go into the calculator? How do I sort? How do I, how much time has gone by? That's a go word. Mm -hmm. So I can apply it to math principles as well. Um, every, every Thursday is a review. So we review the previous four weeks and we just have fun little activities. Sometimes it's fill in the blank. Um, sometimes we grab silly pictures off the internet and we say, Hey, use words to describe, to talk about this picture, you know? So, so it's a giant spider looming over you. And when we pulled that up in one class, the student immediately hit stop, 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 because they didn't like the spider and that was fair. So we did, we switched to the next slide, right? We said, stop, you don't want this one. So we could reinforce the language usage. And then our Fridays are, because we use Proloquo to go, there's some folders on there. We, on Friday, do a folder exploration, right? So go through and talk about what's in those folders so that people can become more proficient with the device as time goes on. They don't have to learn it all at once. And we tell yeah. people all the time, you just have to know one more thing than your students. If your right. student's using one word and you can use two words, you're great. If they're using three and you can use four, you're, you're set. You know, let's, let's make this doable for staff because again, they're, they're busy. They've, they've got a whole classroom to manage. They've got behavior, they've got toileting, they've got feeding, they've got all of this stuff going on in their classrooms. It's really hard to teach language all the time if you have to do it separately. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. So this structured approach through the, through the week, um, do you find that it, uh, teachers then generalize outside of those structured activities? Um, so generalization is probably the piece we're starting to tackle next. Mm -hmm. um, at first, we were super happy that they just had the device out. They were using <laughs> it during the lesson and putting it back on the shelf. Like that was still a win for us. Yeah. Um, what we're seeing more and more as they get more familiar with the vocabulary and how to use it, they're feeling better about it and starting to generalize more. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing about the lessons really was, it's not to teach the students how to use it. It's to teach the staff and the people implementing it 
how the vocabulary works and giving them places where they can use it. Because again, that's the power. Like that's the best feature you can match is implementation. If you're matching that feature, the other features aren't quite as important. Oh, absolutely. I agree 100%. And I'm so excited about the progress you're making. We, we are starting to shift. I know I'm working with schools right now to have like a, a structured um, professional development program with uh, AAC so that it's not just like me coming and dropping it off and then doing one presentation for you, but it's uh, more systematic. And, and what you're talking about is exactly what we're trying to develop is, um, okay, when do we build in a reading literacy time? When do we do a math time? When do we do, and I like your your week long approach, you know, to hit one uh, each day. Uh, it's, it sounds awesome, you know? Um, any other final thoughts that, that you wanna talk about? Or, uh, uh, words of wisdom or something that's really got you uh, uh, excited right now anything to throw out there um, words of wisdom wow that's a tough one um, <laughs> um, there, there's other components to our, our like our system we have homework as well so we went through and created homework um, part of it is just those word of the week lessons and because we needed a way to bring parents in yeah right? and I think I think parents are the critical aspect to making this work long term um, and part of that is has to We're, be a turnover, right? I mean, yeah. staff turns over and, and sure. students eventually age out of the program that you're working on and they move into the next program and you got to start all over again in some aspects. But if the, if the parent is the one consistent factor throughout the student's life. Yeah. And, and honestly, I felt like a lot of times before we were asking parents to decide on something they had no idea about, mm -hmm. right? We were, it's like taking them to a Vietnamese restaurant and saying, would you like pho? And they're like, I have no idea what that is. I don't want that. There's no way I'm just going to say no. And they did a lot of times because they were, they were afraid of something that they didn't know or wasn't manageable for them. Mm -hmm. So the homework's been really helpful as far as getting people to say, okay, here's all you need to do. Go through this lesson and then just model this word 10 times. And here's a little data sheet off to the side of the homework page to keep track of it. You know, and, and then they're vested in the process as well. And it opens up the door for us to say, okay, come in, let's bring you in during their scheduled speech time, and we're gonna show you how this system works so that you can do it at home, right? So it made it a lot easier to kind of close that circle of having all of the people who are implementing it involved. Um, and we're still not there yet. We're still working towards that. Um, yes. This is a long process. It's definitely not something you're just gonna say, oh, if I have a word of the week program and a good device, that's all I need. Right. It, it still takes a lot of training and practice and staff turnover and parents turnover and, and students needs change where they need a better device. Sometimes they need a lower device, you know. Um, but at least your system is in place that you don't have to make all of those decisions, right? Yes. A lot of those decisions you've made in advance and then you adapt, right? So it's a universally designed application and in all of our word of the week lessons, Every Monday, there's a slide in there that says, here's all the ways I can say this word. I can sign it. I can use eye gaze. I can use a switch. I can use all of these other systems with this. This isn't just about the one system we're using. It's about all of these systems and how to use it. And what we've seen, honestly, is even our kids who are using, say, a single switch, right? Single voice output switch. They're now using the word of the week with that. So they're not just using it to say hi and bye anymore. They're using it to say go, and they're getting, they're getting practice and exposure to all of that core vocabulary language, which is great. And yeah, it's hard because it changes week to week, but they're still being exposed to all of that language. And it's language that's so easy to implement across the day that it gets implemented more yes. than cookie at snack time, right? Yeah, and you have a direction. You're going someplace. Where, yeah. where are you going with cookie at snack time? You know, where if you're teaching those core vocabulary words, no matter what uh, modality you're using, um, you you got you have a direction. You can go someplace. You you could grow. You know? Yeah. Awesome, Eric. This is awesome. Any anything else? Um, no, I would just say you know be patient with it. Um, we've uh, we've been less patient than we should have at times. Like we've we've said, oh, we should be doing this, this, and this. But then we look back at like the progress we've made and we're amazed at how far we've come. <laughs> like it's just, it's so, and, and how much easier it is, honestly, it's been easier to manage. We have 
200 students now using um, a higher-end AAC device. And again, they are, we also have a bunch of students using low-tech stuff and paper and pod and lamp. We have students using all of those things. But when we started this, we had 10 students using a high-end AAC system, and they weren't using it well. Uh -huh. Now we have 200 who are using it better than any of those other 10 were at the start. And the ones that are using it well, they're using it amazingly well. Like we, we have students that, you know, I, I feel really confident. Like by the time they're out of school, they're, the language that they have and the ability to use that language is going to be enough to get them through life. And, and I didn't feel that way before. I felt like we were, we were doing the best we could, but students weren't making the progress that we wanted to see. So I, I think our student progress is doing a lot better. I think the stress for our staff is a lot lower because they're not trying to have to decide what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And yeah, this, we have lots of discussions about why this and not this and why this many words and this many words, you know, why can't I have less or more or whatever. And, and those are, that's where we go through and we feature match. Like what is appropriate for this student? Do I hide buttons? Do I not hide buttons? Like we still have lots and lots of discussions about all of that stuff and everybody has different opinions and, and that's fine. There's just room for that now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're not doing it as frequently as you would have in the past. It's so great to hear the success story. Like I said, you, you, that, that whole message of uh, eventually you can see students graduating and they, when they go across that stage, they'll have a functional language system, not just um, I want cookie or goldfish cracker or, or I mean, all because of these changes. I also love your message about being patient. I know that's something I have to take away from this conversation because I want it to change tomorrow, you know, and I feel like I'll talk to my wife. I don't know. I didn't I don't know if I did enough today to, you know, like, just be patient because it, you got You're trying to change an entire system and culture of how it works, you know, so uh, forgive yourself if it doesn't happen tomorrow, you know, and there'll be setbacks as people change and, and move. Um, but as long as you keep going, uh, marching forward in a direction uh, you're you're bound to succeed you know it's just a matter of time yeah absolutely absolutely and again like any of these systems you can implement that with it you know if we had to switch systems completely tomorrow we could just pick up where we left off pretty much and keep going and 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 we would be fine it's 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 a great time to be involved in AAC because things are just so good like it's really hard to make bad decisions nowadays. It's, it's hard to do it wrong unless you're just not implementing. You yeah. know, if you're implementing, you're doing it right and the systems will support that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The focus uh, has to shift away from selection to implementation. Uh, that's not to say that selection isn't important. It's just oh. we've spent so much time on selection in the past. Let's start to shift more to the implementation side. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. I really appreciate your time and uh, take care, man. Thank you. Have a good one, Chris. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. bye. So. Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I know I came into this uh, to feeling feeling very skeptical. I, I'm not, I'm still not sure I've shaken every single cobweb off my eyes here. Mm -hmm. I think I've got a years and years of ingrained, um, ingrained prejudice in, in education here. But um, what do you guys think? Well, for Lucas, I just want to say, I, I think what you just exhibited there is you have at least an open mind to it. Because I think a lot of people just put in there, they dig their heels in or they close their mind. No, we've always done it this way. And therefore, we should always do it that way. Mm -hmm. Because it, I, I know like one kid that it worked for. Uh, well, maybe we should, you know, have an open mind to have these kinds of conversations. That's what professional discourse is about, right? Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. You know, every every field goes through innovation and nothing should stay stagnant. Everything is always evolving and it's hard. Transitions are hard because we like to stick with what we know and what we're used to, but the reality is we're burdened with so many children who need support and not enough professionals that are able to provide that support. Um, you know, and that's why I really, I really appreciate thinking about this, this different approach because it really allows for 
professionals to learn how to implement these systems, which at the end of the day is literally the most important thing. Um, we put a lot of value in the assessment piece and, you know, as we should, we need to figure out what works and for that specific child and, you know, that will better allow us to implement more effectively. But I think that what I'm seeing lacking in a lot of the schools that I'm, you know, in is just teachers need help. They need help with implementation and they need to figure out how do I actually use this thing. Um, and I think that it, it definitely helps when there's one system and we're not kind of bouncing between, you know, LAMP and Proloquo and PEX, the example you gave earlier, Chris. So, um, Rachel, this is really uh, to you. Uh, I know we've had a great working relationship over the last, I don't know, uh, a couple months, you know, but uh, all this year, something's been kind of brewing, and I feel like I need to share it with you now um, because I made, uh, and it's, it might be a little bit hard to hear at first, and it's definitely going to be embarrassing for me, but I need to share it with both of you, especially you, Rachel, knowing what's coming up uh, here in the next few days. And that is, I made a promise a long time ago to my wife that if one of her, if her team made it to the Super Bowl, that I would... <sighs> have to support the her team so here i am you had me so nervous i have got my patriots my wife's patriots hat on and here's her shirt I'm knowing really that upset. you're from philly that you are probably rooting for the eagles of course but, i am and you know i'm from buffalo so it's, it's exceptionally painful for me to be putting on this patriots hat right now but uh i just had oh, to let you know that, that um that I, I can't be with your Eagles this on Sunday. I have to be with my wife and be with the Patriots. You got me good, Chris. I was like, oh my God, what is he gonna say? That was, that was incredible. That was brilliant. Yeah, go Eagles though. Come on, the Patriots don't need to win anymore. I know, I know, believe me. All right, I, I did my little bit, now I'm getting it off. I did my... <laughs> Oh man, I was like, what could he possibly have to say to me? Like, what? <laughs> I was so, that was real good, Chris. Real good. You got me. Especially the record button. I was like, what? <laughs>